Well, does anyone think the world's going to end this year? No. Apparently, one person, apparently on December 21st this year, the world's going to end. I don't know if you caught that. That was in a movie, but heaps of people, yeah, we've got some believers out there. He- oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Well, there's a whole bunch of people on the internet saying the world will end on December 21st, uh, 2012. Um, Tonight we're talking about the end of the world, and so I had a bit of a look online. You don't have to look hard to find some nut jobs and some wing nuts talking about the end of the world. So you got your crazy street preachers who don't have a job because they're just so worried about the end of the world coming. You got these guys up the top. They they follow a guy called Harold Camping, and Harold predicted the end of the world would come March 1994, um, and then in May or April 1994, revised his prediction to September 1995. And then again, um, you can see a new date on the tour bus there, um, March 21st, 2011, which, yes, thank you, uh, which, which also apparently wasn't the end of the world. Um, and so, you know, there's all these crazy people out there um, predicting the end of the world, and I reckon it's become a bit of a joke. Um, does anyone honestly think the world really is going to end. Well, tonight, well, thanks, Jaden. Um, tonight, we are talking about the end of the world, not because we're crazy people obsessed with the end of the world, but because the passage that we are going through tonight, that we're up to, that passage talks about it. And the reason that passage talks about it is because back in the day, it was a joke then too. Have a look at verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoff means mock, laugh at. So people laughing. Scoffers will come, uh, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So they're laughing at the Christians, and you can see what they're saying in verse 4. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning. It had become a joke. And so... Um, you know, ever since Jesus died and, and came alive again, the Christians have been saying, he's coming back again, and when he comes, it'll be the end of the world. This letter's written about 30 years later, and it's like, all right then, where is he? Um, day after day, the earth keeps spinning. Uh, nothing really changes. It's not happening, guys. And so the end of the world is a joke to these guys. 2,000 years later, come to us now. He still hasn't showed up. So should we take the end of the world seriously? How will the world end? Why is it taking him so long if he is coming back? That's why through Peter, God wrote this passage. To show us why we can be sure that Jesus will come back and to show why it's taking him so long. I know Sam prayed. Let me pray again. Father God, please show us the truth about this thing and God convict us deeply of it. Change us by it. Help us to take it seriously. Amen. Well, God says in this passage that the end of the world is coming. Just because lots of people who say that are crazy doesn't mean it won't happen. Now, this week I watched a bunch of YouTube videos in preparation for this talk, basically the trailer of every end of the world movie I could find. And it's amazing how many different theories there are out there of how the world could end. Um, Some think the sun will blow up. Some think the universe will collapse. Some think a disease will go out and infect everybody. Some think that there will be like a huge world war that wipes us all out. 
Some think there'll be an enormous storm. Some think there'll be like a meteor strike. Some people are like, aliens will do it. Most people would actually agree, though, that at some point the world is going to end. The question is, how? In the Bible, God says, I started it, I created it, I'm going to be the one who calls full-time. This passage tells us how he's going to do it. The full-time whistle is called the day of the Lord. And we're going to see five things about the day of the Lord from this passage. Number one, the day of the Lord is the day when Jesus comes back. You can see this in what the scoffers are saying in verse 4. Where is this coming he promised? I don't know if you've asked this, but people ask me, where did Jesus go after he was raised to life again? Did he just kind of die? Well, the book of Acts at the start there tells you what happened. Um, After he was raised to life, Jesus hung around on earth for about 40 days, proving to everybody that he was alive. And then he was taken up into heaven, still alive, and that's where he is today. But before he went, he promised, I'm going to come back. The second coming, it's called. The other thing it's called is the day of the Lord because it's the day that the Lord comes back. And so you see that uh, in verse 10, which I reckon is the main point of this whole section. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord is the day when Jesus comes back and when he comes, it'll be like the full-time whistle on this world. That's number one. But what's going to happen on the day of the Lord? Well, number two, on the day of the Lord, This world will be destroyed. Have a look at verse 10 again. We'll keep going. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. It says there the elements will be destroyed by fire. Obvious question. What does fire do to things? Destroys them. It breaks them down. This world is going to be destroyed. How much of it? Have a look at verse 7. Some of you guys struggle with this in your G teams. Verse 7, the present earth, oh, sorry, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. In the Bible, that phrase, the heavens and earth, refers to the sky and the ground. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, the whole universe, everything. The point is, the whole universe is going to be destroyed. It's going to be melted down ready to start again. And you see, that's the point of it. God's not just chucking in the towel and going home. He's ending this world because he's starting a new, because he's going to recreate it. And so that's the third thing we're going to see about the day of the Lord. Number three, on the day of the Lord, the new world will be created. Have a look at verse 13. We'll get to it next week, but it's helpful now. Verse 13. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. This world's messed up. Don't you feel that? This is a promise that God is going to fix it. He's going to melt this universe down and start it new fresh, the way it was supposed to be before we stuffed it up. 
You know, the book of Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, it's all about this. Chapter 21 says some of my favorite words. It says, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Man, the day of the Lord is good news. It's something to look forward to. It's the start of that new world, living forever with God in this new creation, created without all the mess of this old one. How good's God? He's got a plan to fix this world. That's why, by the way, movies about the end of the world are actually a bad picture of what the end of the world is going to be like. Because in movies, the end of the world is the end of the story. But the day of the Lord is actually not the end of the story. It's the end of this world, but it's the beginning of the real story. I think one of the things we need most is to be set free from thinking this world is the main event. It's not. It's like how um, the under-12s play a game of rugby before the state of origin. You know, and the stadium's filling up and you're watching the under-12s play a game of rugby. Oh, yeah, it's kind of fun to watch. But when the full-time whistle blows, no one's really devo. Because the full-time of that game means it's about to start the game you're actually there to watch, the one you're actually really excited about. That's what this is like. This world is like the plane flight before the holiday. It's like the warm-up before the dance concert. It's like the ads before a movie. It's like the game loading screen. You know, you don't get fixated on this screen being like, man, how good is this screen? I'm just going to enjoy this screen. You're waiting for the game, the main event. When this world ends, the real story begins. And that brings us to thing number four. The fourth thing we learn about the day of the Lord, because... The day of the Lord is going to be, it's going to bring the day of judgment. Have a look at verse 7. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Serious reality here that when the day of the Lord comes, there'll be a day of judgment. Each person will be judged. You will stand in front of God. And he'll determine where you'll spend forever, either in that new creation with him or being punished in what the Bible calls hell. Man, lots of people have a huge problem with what I just said, with what the Bible says. I say, how can God judge? How can a loving God judge and destroy? And man, I totally get that. It doesn't seem to fit with a loving God. But would you rather a God who did nothing about suffering and evil? Because you know the other thing people say about God? Everyone's biggest thing. Why doesn't God do something about all the suffering and the evil we see in this world? I don't know if I can believe in a God who would just let that keep happening. Well, if there's no judgment and if there's no new creation, then there's no answer to that. Because the day of the Lord is the day that God does something about suffering and evil. In the new world, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more evil. 
And on judgment day, he's going to make sure that everyone who did evil and everyone who caused suffering gets what they deserve. The day of the Lord is the day that God does something about suffering and evil once and for all. It's good news, but it's scary news. It's scary news for us because we're part of the problem. We've done evil. We've caused suffering. I have. You have. How do you reckon you'll go on Judgment Day? The Bible says that on Judgment Day we'll be found guilty. We'll be stuffed. But there is a Savior. And I want to tell you a story. Two boys, brothers, um, were running and they were, they were just kind of playing outdoors. It was back in the old days when you could just kind of roam free. And they found this river and, um, and they start running towards it. And the older brother yells out, stop, let me check it first to see if it's safe. The younger brother just kind of ignores him, rips off his shirt and starts running and he can kind of thump, thump, thump on the sand as he approaches the water. But actually the river's eaten out the sand under the bank. And so as he went thump, 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 the sand underneath him gives way and actually becomes quicksand. And as hard as this little guy swims, he can't keep his head above water. And the older brother's running down and he dies into saving. That night when the two boys don't come back for dinner, the family sends out a search party, gathers all the neighbours, and when they finally find the river, they see the younger brother unconscious with his head and shoulders just above the water. And as they pull him out, they shake him, they say, where's your older brother? And he says, I'm standing on his shoulders. The older brother had sacrificed his life to keep his younger brother afloat. That is what Jesus has done for us. We ignored God's commands. Don't go there, don't go there. We got ourselves into a heck of trouble on Judgment Day. And Jesus sacrificed his life to save us. And he says, stand on my shoulders. Stand on my shoulders. Can you believe that Jesus would do that for you? Because he did. He died on the cross so you could be sweet on judgment day. And so the day of the Lord will bring that day of judgment. And anyone, anyone who accepts Jesus as their Savior, makes him their king, they'll be saved. They'll be part of that new creation. If you ignore him, if you say no to him, on that day, you'll find yourself without a saviour. You need to turn to Jesus. Trust him. Stand on his shoulders. Trust him to be your, your saviour. And then turn your life around and start living for him. Because of what he's done for you. And because the day of the Lord is coming, the day when this world will be destroyed and the new world will be created, the day of judgment. But is it really coming? Is it really coming? And if it is, why is it taking so long? What's the last thing we're going to see from this passage? Number five, the day of the Lord is coming suddenly and unexpectedly. Have a look at verse 10. That's the point he's making. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. It is going to come. And in this passage, he gives two reasons why we can be confident he'll come. Verse 5, he says, he's talking about the scoffers, and he says they deliberately forget. They don't want to believe that Jesus is coming. It's inconvenient. 
But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In other words, you don't think God can end it? He made it. He can do it. And the second thing they forget, the second reason, verse 6, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. When was a time back in the past when the world was deluged and destroyed by water? It's, It's the flood. And he's saying, God's done it before. Why do you doubt that he'll do it again? That was just a taste with water, but this time it's going to be with fire. There's two reasons in this passage. He's already given another two earlier in the letter. Right at the end of chapter 1, he he gave another two reasons. One was, we're eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of the first coming of Jesus. We saw with our own eyes who he is as he was declared the Son of God by God himself, and we saw his glory with our own eyes. So we know when he said he'd come back, he's telling the truth. And the other reason earlier in chapter 1 was because all the way through the Bible, for hundreds of years, there was a prophecy and a promise um, over and over again that he would come back um, or that Jesus would come and different details about that. And they were all fulfilled in crazy specific ways. I don't know if you've heard about Nostradamus. Every now and then it comes up. He was a guy that made some predictions, a few of them, and they were vague. And so every now and then something matches it and people are like, Nostradamus was right. More than a few vague promises, what you've got in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is hundreds of years before, many, many, many specific promises that Jesus fulfilled in specific ways, like the place he was born, the price he was betrayed for, the fact that he was pierced with nails in crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented. So we know, but those promises also promised the second coming. And if they're right about the first one, it makes sense to think they'll be right about the second one. I could keep going because there's a bunch of other reasons why we can be sure that this is coming. But the question is, why is it taking so long? Well, just before we get there, have a look at, at verse 10. Just one more thing to see there. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. How do thieves come? Do they kind of knock on the door the day before to let you know in advance so you're ready? That's how you do it, but not not good thieves. No, they come in the night. They come suddenly and unexpectedly. Tell you what that means, by the way. That means anyone who says they know when Jesus will come back automatically is wrong just because they say they know because he'll come like a thief. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. Will he come back on December 21st? Maybe. But the people who say they know that are wrong. No one can know. He's coming suddenly and unexpectedly. But why is it taking so long? Well, look at verse 8. So the thing we're going to see is, first of all, it's not taking that long from God's perspective. Look at verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God has been around for billions of billions of billions of years. Do you reckon 2,000 years feels like a long time to God? feels like a day, two days. It's not taking a long time when you look at it from God's perspective, outside of time, looking down at all of human history. That's the first thing. It's not taking a long time from God's perspective. But the passage also says the reason it's been as long as it's been. Have a look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason it's taking him so long is because God wants more people to be saved. He wants more people to turn to Jesus and to find salvation. He's being patient. So you know, God, he wants this world to end because he wants to put a stop to evil. But he's holding off because he wants more people to be saved. But the day of the Lord will come, suddenly and unexpectedly. Guys, um, my big fear for this talk is that we'll hear all of this, five truths, and then nothing will change. My fear is that we won't do anything about this. Reality check. Do you hear what we're talking about? Sometimes we're around stuff so much. This is people and their destinies. This is people. This is the people that we know. This is our world. This is my house. This, is, this isn't some abstract theory. I just want us to realize this has to change us if this is true, which it is. I want to show you something just to try and help us to get our heads around the realness of it. I know some of you have seen it before. I think it's worth doing. Imagine this rope is a timeline. All right? And um, it's, it's a long rope. Imagine it goes on for infinity. It doesn't. It stops at the speaker. But imagine it goes on for infinity. It's a timeline. And this bit here, the black bit, represents this world. Then there's the day of the Lord. And then there's the new world, which is all of eternity. Okay? Now that's for some people the new world as in the new creation, heaven. And for some people it's punishment. So this is a timeline. Our world. And it's just a few short years. Some people go, oh, it's been around for billions of years. Yeah, but look at it compared to infinity, compared to eternity, compared to billions upon billions of years. Okay, can you see that? And I'll tell you what blows me away. What blows me away is people spend all of their time thinking about this world. What will I do in this world? What job will I have? Will I fall in love? Will I, where will I live? Will I be happy? Will I travel? We're consumed by this world and we give no thought to all of this. And it's just, it's crazy to me. The Bible says that what I do during this bit here determines how I will exist for all of this. Can't even, it's just so long. How I live in this bit here determines where I will exist for all of this. What did I do with Jesus? Did I make him my saviour? If I did, I get to spend all of that with him in heaven. If I didn't, I die unsaved. I die unforgiven. How I live in this bit here also determines who else will spend, who else will be here with me. Because Jesus is my Savior, I know I'm going to be in the new creation. I want to drag as many people as I can along with me. All they have to do is make Jesus their Savior. And I don't, you know, everything I do is either helping someone or not helping someone come along with me. 
So what I do in this life determines where I'll spend forever. It determines who else will come with me forever. It also determines how I will spend that time in the new creation. Jesus promised that he would reward us then for every good thing that we do for him now. So I get $20. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, everything I do will bring either reward or regret. So I get $20, I'm like, I could, you know, I could spend this on me. I could buy a whole bunch of fun stuff for me now. But I'm thinking about that day. And on that day, when I see Jesus and when I cross over into this, what will bring reward and what will bring regret? We all know that experience of buying something you regret. Maybe a week later, maybe not even a week. Maybe you just get home from the shops and you're like, oh, that was a waste of money. But think about that day when you stand in front of God and you spend, and it, and you, you spend all this time either with reg- reward or regret. I think, will we regret the clothes that we bought? Will we regret the CDs that we bought, the concerts we went to, the, the conversations we had, or the conversations we didn't have? Do you see how this just changes your perspective on life? I'm not going to worry about what I'll miss out on in this life. The Bible says I've got one chance at this life on earth, and then this forever. Why would I spend this part here trying to make myself as comfortable as I can and enjoy this as much as I can and give no thought at all to this, the main event? People look at my decisions and they go, that's stupid because that will affect that. And I'm like, no, you're stupid because that will affect that. And I look at how people live and I go, that is so crazy. You're going to worry about this now, but give no thought at all to that? Guys, if if you haven't made Jesus your saviour and king, if you're not standing on his shoulders, do that. Prepare for that day when he comes back. The way you do that is you turn to him and you trust in him. You turn to him and you say, Jesus, I want to live my life for you and you trust that he died for you to save you. And do you know what? No matter what you miss out on in this life, it will be worth it for millions and millions and millions of years. Guys, if you are Christians, keep your eyes on eternity. Let it change you. Reality check. The day of the Lord is coming. The day Jesus comes back. This world will be destroyed. The new world will come. The day of judgment will happen. Do you see how that changes everything? I'll give you two examples. How it changes your attitude to stuff, possessions. There's no point storing it up. You know? It's all going to be destroyed. Your house, your mobile phone, your clothes collection, your surfboards, none of it will last. Stop focusing on that. Give it away. God will get glory and that will last forever. 
Um, you'll get rewards in heaven forever. And maybe someone will ask you, hey, why do you live like that? And you get to tell them about a guy who died for you so you could live forever with him for free. And they might be there too forever. Don't live for stuff that's going to be destroyed. Stop focusing on that and set your eyes on eternity. I don't know if Jono said this at Swarm, but on average, we give about 50 cents a week to, to EVU, which is great. But I just wonder how that compares with what we spend on stuff that won't last. Guys, live with eternity in mind. Second thing I want to just talk about is how that would change your attitude to suffering in this life. Because this life will be hard. But that's okay. Because it's not the main event. How many days of heaven do you reckon it would take to make it worth it, no matter how much suffering you had in this life? One day of pure joy in heaven? A hundred days? What about 80 years? What about 80,000 years? No matter how much you suffer in this life, there will be a point in eternity when it is way worth it. So, guys, no matter how much suffering you go through, for Jesus or otherwise, fix your eyes on eternity. It will be worth it. The day of the Lord is coming. It's coming like a thief. Suddenly and unexpectedly, guys, we need to make every, every opportunity count, every moment, everything we've got now as we look forward to the main event. If you haven't already, become a Christian. Live with the day of the Lord in mind. I've got a question I want you guys to ask each other as you're hanging out, if you want. I want you to ask each other, how does, what parts of your life don't make sense? with the day of the Lord coming. Just be honest with each other and pray for each other and help each other out because I know there's lots in my life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are coming back. Thank you that the day of the Lord is coming. Thank you that you are going to destroy this mess of a world but that everything good will be preserved and, and in the New creation will get to enjoy living with you forever with no mess. Thank you that you died to make it possible that we could be part of it. And God, I pray that anyone here tonight who's not trusting in Jesus, who hasn't turned and given control of their life to him, I pray that they would do it so that they can join us. God, please help us to live with our eyes on eternity, living lives that make sense in light of that not caught up in the things of this world. And I pray that you get lots of glory, that we get lots of joy, and that many people become Christians through it. In Jesus' name, amen.